Hi, everybody. I'm Karen Smith, and welcome to the P52 Podcast. I'm the president of Canal Ministry Training Center at Christ Fellowship Church in Dawsonville, Georgia, home of the North Georgia Revival. The desire of my heart is to see the body of Christ come into a fuller understanding of the Word of God and develop a deeper appreciation for Jesus and what He did for us. When we understand the covenant we have in Him, we will love Him more and more. The P in P52 is for process. God is a God of process, from creation to Noah, from David to Jesus, and from the plan of redemption to developing as a disciple, we see the importance of process. On this podcast, we're going through the P52 teachings from the last several years. We will dive into the Word of God a chapter at a time, paying close attention to the context, the background, and the choice words and phrases. By carefully dissecting these chapters, we will gain a greater understanding of God's Word and what it's saying to us today. His Word is about to come alive for you in a powerful way. This is the way you study your Bible. With all that said, let's dive into this week's episode. Christianity 101. It gives us the basics, especially chapters 6, 7, and 8. All right? So what you may want to do is find yourself studying your P52 and you're studying around chapter 8 as well. Okay? It's not hard to understand, but it is vitally important that we do understand it because Romans, and in particular uh, chapter 8, deals with the position of the believer. you got to know that you know that you know where you are in relation to Christ. Okay, and we'll explain a little bit more about that in just a moment. So let's read through some introductory things quickly so we can get on into our text. And what I'm going to do tonight is a little bit different teaching. I'm going to have to explain this passage of Scripture in sections because every verse is power-packed. We will be here until next Wednesday night. So I'm going to have to explain it in chunks. Now, there are a few verses that we'll spend some time on, particularly like our memory verse, verses 26, 27, 28. We'll spend a little bit of time right there. But primarily, I'm going to have to explain it to you in chunks. Is that okay? All right, so you need to do a little bit of digging on your own. Background, here we go. Our author is, of course, the Apostle Paul. And you would read, if you read in chapter 1 of Romans, Paul gives a very lengthy introduction about himself, and he does this primarily for two reasons. First of all, his readers are not personally acquainted with him. And we'll see in a moment that Paul had not made it to Rome. As he's writing, he has not made it to Rome. And also, he felt it very important that he established the fact that he has been called by Jesus Christ to be an apostle. And you'll find that in Romans 1.1. Now, a lot of times you'll see in Paul's writings, he will say, I am called by God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. You'll hear him say that a lot, okay? And, and to his readers, whatever letter he is writing, he wants to make sure that they know, that he knows, that he's been called by Jesus Christ to be an apostle. Now, one of these days, I hope to uh, dive into the subject matter of the apostleship or apostles, and even modern-day apostles. But this was a very strong office 
is one of the fivefold ministry offices that are mentioned in Ephesians 4. And the reason that this, uh, that this office was so strong, especially the, uh, the first apostles, was that they were, it was a governing office. In other words, they could go in and establish a church. They could go in and set order in a church. And so what uh, Paul was trying to establish with them is, listen, based on my calling by Jesus Christ, I have been given the authority to speak into your life. Okay? So one of these days, maybe we'll talk about apostleship. It's very important, uh, uh, very important to understand that. But he gives this long, lengthy passage right at the first of Romans because he wants to let them know, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I've got the authority by Jesus to speak into your life as a church. All right? So that was very important that he did this. Um, according to Romans 16, 22, if you'll get that next, uh, uh, there's the, uh, the, uh, the slide there. This was Paul's secretary. This is the person actually, uh, Tertius actually, uh, uh, Tertius actually penned the writing for him. Uh, Paul had been in ministry for about 20 years now. He had been converted for about 20 years and had been preaching the gospel. And so he had this assistant, kind of an interesting uh, footnote there. You'll find it in Romans 16, 22. This person actually penned the writing as Paul uh, spoke it out. That's just a matter of information. Again, written to the church in Rome. You'll see in first, uh, the first chapter, uh, verse 7, to all who are in Rome, the love of God called to be saints. So he's writing to the members of the church in Rome. Now, according to Romans 1.13, you will see that Paul had never been to Rome. He was trying to get there, but at this point, he had not been there. He had only been imprisoned in Rome, so he had not really ministered in Rome. So this church in Rome had been established um, not under his apostolic leadership. It had been established uh, by another means, but he just saw uh, a responsibility to them. He wanted to minister to them, and he wanted to reach out and to establish some type of foundation for them. So he writes to them. His audits were generally uh, Gentiles with some Jewish readers as well. Our, our date for um, the writing is about 56 AD, uh, AD 56. This is during his third missionary journey. Now, Paul took three missionary journeys. This was written during his third one, so that he was at the last track of his ministry, so to speak, okay? Uh, his third missionary journey included about 31 noted cities, and he was probably in the city of Corinth when he wrote this. He was headed to Jerusalem, and uh, he was uh, probably in the city of Corinth when he wrote this. Now, look at this map here, and you will see. See the red lines there? Then there's some purple lines, and then there's the blue line. Purple line is in the upper left. These are the 31 cities that Paul traveled through and to, starting in uh, Antioch, I believe it was. No, Acacia. Acacia. I believe it was, and then ending in Jerusalem. That uh, go back, Mel, one for just a moment. That first line, the red line, is the cities that that's the cities that he started out. Uh, the red line refers to the first part of his journey. The blue line, the second part, and the purple line is the area that he traveled uh, twice. Okay, that's when you're walking or riding something. That's some traveling. Amen. So that's his travel map for the third missionary journey. Uh, during which time he wrote the book of Romans. You can go to the next one. This is just another glimpse, another map glimpse uh, of his missionary journey there. 
and, and it's, of course, showing the same pattern, okay? Romans 15, 15 through 16 gives us the purpose of the letter. He says, nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given me by God that I might be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And then there's other verses that he uh, he gives throughout the book. He says, you know, I want to impart things to you. This is kind of a vague description as to why he's writing, but he's basically saying, I just want to minister to you, okay? And so he felt, as I said earlier, he felt a responsibility to this church in Rome. You see, Paul was a Jew called to the Gentiles. Peter was a Gentile called to the Jews. And so he felt a responsibility to this people group and wanted to minister to them, okay? The contents and the characteristics of the, of, the, uh, of the text of the book of Romans read this. Romans is the greatest collection of Christian doctrine found in Scripture. The book does not address any particular problems at the church of Rome, because, you know, a lot of Paul's writings did. There was a problem in this church and a problem in that church. He didn't have to write to them and straighten it out like Corinth and such. But contains general teachings and doctrines applicable for all Christians of all times. So, in other words, we can eat on this and chew on this and be just fine. It's totally applicable applicable to us. Now, a couple things I want you to understand before we go right into chapter uh, 8 and verse 1 is uh, the uh, situation that the early church was in during the times of Paul's writings, okay? There's some characteristics about that early church. They're first coming together. So when they, uh, when in the time of Paul's writings, a lot of times there was a traumatic time. They were going through a lot of trauma, that early church was, okay? And so it was, it was uneasy times for them. Christianity had not totally developed at that time, okay? And the church was made up of saved Jews who were just coming into the realization of Jesus. There wasn't really a governing authority. Everything was very new. It wasn't one church location, this great big church location, but it was a conglomeration of little communities. The church was kind of popping up everywhere. Kind of sounds like small groups, doesn't it? And so what they did was they depended heavily upon missionaries and preachers like Paul that would write to them and instruct them and visit them and teach them when they were there and that type of thing. So you have to remember that this church was just getting started, just coming into its own. And so a lot of times in Paul's writings, you'll see him writing encouragement. And you'll see him writing the basics. As I said, it's Christianity 101. So he wanted to encourage them to stand in their faith, to be strong, and just to stay with it and stay in unity. And so you'll see, especially in the book of Romans, just a lot of real basic uh, uh, basic things uh, concerning Christianity. Okay? So always keep that in mind that this was the early church, just starting out, just beginning to realize who Jesus really was and coming into all that realization, okay? All right, here we go. In Romans chapter 8, how many of you have enjoyed this chapter this week? How many of you felt like, man, I am choking? There is so much information, okay? And it is so good. So uh, let's go right into Romans. And as I said, chapter 8 is a continuation of the thoughts recorded in 6 and 7. And really all three of these chapters should be studied together uh, if at all possible, okay? Now, again, I mentioned earlier, in discussing the book of Romans and primarily uh, chapter 8 of Romans, this is all about the position of the believer in Christ. Guys, we've got to realize what it means to be in Christ and for him to be in us, okay? Verse 1 through 4 is real strong in this, and uh, we'll talk about that, all right? So let's go ahead and skip. Melanie, if you'll skip those next few 
uh, uh, slides there, and let's go straight to verse 1. How many of you found this to be a powerful verse? Very powerful. I was telling Rachel and some of the ladies earlier this morning, I woke up at 5.30, I believe it was, on Tuesday morning and heard this verse over and over and over again. One primary part of the verse, I got up and began to to, uh, dig around a little bit and found some good stuff. So I want to share that with you tonight. There is there now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. There is therefore now, now that chapter 5, 6, and 7 have been explained, that has everything's been laid out. Verse eight say, or verse uh, 1 of chapter 8 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, church, stay with me right here. This is very important. Because a lot of times believers will walk around and we become weak and we become frail when we don't understand the authority of the believer, our identity in Christ, and our position in Christ. The devil will toss us to and fro when we don't understand those three things. Our position in Christ, the authority of the believer, and what else did I say? Position in Christ, our identity in Christ. Okay? So we've got to get our feet grounded, grounded in Romans 8.1. And somebody asked me tonight, are we going to get out of verse 1? I said, I don't know. Because there's, there's just a, there's a fabulous truth here, and we've got to show it. Okay? When it says there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, those that are in Christ Jesus are the believers. If you are born again, if you are a Christian, you've invited Jesus into your heart, there is therefore now no condemnation. What does that mean? That means that there is no impending punishment for your sins awaiting you. And verse 1 through about 4 or 5 explains this even in greater detail. Now, Christians will give an answer for our works, what we do after we're born again for the kingdom. But we will not answer for sin. Because we'll learn in just a moment that Jesus took on our sin and dealt with it. So when it says there's no condemnation, that means there's no impending punishment for your sin awaiting you one day. Amen? To those who are what? In Christ. So it clarifies and signifies who 8-1 is for. Is it for the lost man? Absolutely not. Because the lost man is not what? In Christ. Is condemnation awaiting him? Is punishment for his sin awaiting him if he doesn't get born again? Yes. But for the believer, for those of us that are in Christ, no punishment for sin. Is that not glorious? Now watch this. Holly, come up here and help me for a second. I called Sherry Smith today and I said, bring me an egg. And she said, what? The egg. She said, a boiled or just an egg? And I said, just an egg. So Holly, go up there and hold that up for me. And let me show you this. The eggshell is us. The yolk is Jesus or the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He is in us. Got that? Simple. But isn't that wonderful that he's in us? He's the yoke and we're the shell. Okay? He is in us. 
But do you know that the scripture says that we are in him more times than it says he's in us? And what did I say the book of Romans was all about? The position of the believer. Yes, he wants us to know, I'm in Cindy. I'm in Pastor Sandy. I'm in Natalie. I'm in you, never to leave you or forsake you. But he says, perhaps even greater, you're in me. Is that not a fabulous position to be in? Yes, it is. I don't want to be in the world. I don't want to be in Satan. I don't want to be in sin. I don't want to be in this relationship or in that job. I want to be in Christ. And that's what I kept hearing Tuesday morning. In Christ. In Christ. I'm like, okay, Lord, what what about it? Now, watch this. This bowl represents Jesus. And Holly, put that egg in there. Hold that bowl. You got it? Now, we are in him. That little egg is in him. He's in us, and we're in him. Okay, we got that? You'll never forget pictures, and so that's why I wanted to show you this, all right? We're in him, and he is in us. And then the Bible goes on to say in Ephesians 4.30 that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Here's the seal. Put that on, Holly. Seal it real good and tight. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. And only the owner of the seal can break the seal. And we know Jesus is not going to break the seal. He doesn't break anything. He doesn't break covenant. doesn't break promise. not going to break the seal. So look at that. The yoke, he's in us. The egg in the bowl, we are in him. And we are sealed by who? No greater power than by the power of the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Is that egg going anywhere? No, because that top is not coming off. The seal will not come off. You're sealed in Christ. You're sealed in Christ until the day of redemption. You are not going anywhere. He is not going anywhere. Sealed, sealed, sealed until the day of redemption. More often, the scripture says, you're in me than I'm in you. Is that good or what? Thank you, Jesus. Thanks, Holly. Thank you. Two little words. In Christ. In Christ. Now, I know you don't care a whole lot about this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. That little word in, in the Greek, it's a resting case. It's called a resting case. It's a preposition. And in the Greek, it's called a resting case. It's a place of rest. If you'll picture in your mind a bullseye on a target, okay? There's bands all the way around. And in the very middle is the resting place. That's where you'll find the word in. It's a place of rest. That means, now listen to this, according to the original Greek grammar, this resting word, in, it's resting. That means there's no motion and no movement in this word. What does that mean? 
you are not moving in and out of Jesus, and he is not moving in and out of you. Is that position? Is that security or what? The very grammar that this text is written in shows you you're not moving. You're in. Remember the target, the bullseye. That's where you'll find the word in Christ. No motion, no movement. In. That's so good, y'all. I'm telling you, our writer is trying to convey such a powerful message in Romans 8. It is so powerful. It is so powerful. Now, let's go on. Melanie, you're going to have to work with me because I've got to skip some stuff. So just work with me, sister, back there, okay? All right? That phrase again, no condemnation. It's not just that legal agreement that says you won't have to answer for sin, but it's also a union in life. Go to John 5 and watch this. I mean, it's great to not have to answer for your sin. But watch what else this does, this no condemnation. It's great not to have to answer for sin. That's wonderful. It's under the blood. But watch what else this does, this no condemnation. It's not just a legal agreement where sin is lifted and the penalty's been lifted, but it's a union in life with Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at John 5, 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. That is salvation. That's folks that are in him, right? And shall not come into judgment. There's the impending penalty, the impending punishment. He's saying it again. That's not going to happen for a believer. But has passed from death into eternal life. Wow. So Romans 8, 1 connects with John 5, 24. You won't have that punishment for sin. Jesus took care of that. But at the same time, he says not only that, but you're passing from death. And death is separation. Death without Christ is separation from Christ in the now and in the eternal. And he says, you'll pass from that into life, zoe, everlasting life, life with benefits. Praise God. Praise God. Do you see that? John 5, 24, you got that? You might want to cross-reference that in your Bible. Put it over in the, in the, in the margin or something so that you'll know from Romans 8, 1 to go to John 5, 24 someday. All right, let's keep going. Got to move quick. Where are we at, Holly? Okay, we're good. We've got to make it to the memory verses where we got to get. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has, oh my goodness, made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, what, we're not going to have time to probably get there, guys, because it gets on down into three and four. But there's a contrast here. The writer is contrasting that Old Testament law. The one that God set up, there's like 600 and something laws. 
No way in the world man could keep that because it was having to be kept by a fleshly human body. We can't do that. We're going to break something. So you're going to see the contrast between that, the law of death or the law, and the law of the Spirit. He's contrasting a law that they knew about being under the Old Testament law, all the do's and the don'ts, all the sacrifices. And he says that's ultimately going to end in death. It never did work because after every year they had to do a new sacrifice. Y'all remember that in the Old Testament? And he was contrasted with a life in the Spirit where Jesus came and he took care of sin all by himself. And he gave us the power of the Holy Spirit that helps us to live without sin. Do you know we cannot sin? Do you know we can? I'm going to show you in just a minute. But we can live a life without sin, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, which one would we rather have? I am glad I am not under law, but I'm under grace. Now, is the law a bad thing? No, we wouldn't know between right and wrong if we didn't have the law. It identifies right and wrong. But we live under grace. Now, does that give us a ticket to go out and live like hell? We sin all we want to because we're under grace. No, that's called sloppy grace. And the Bible says a person that habitually sins better check their salvation. That's in 1 John. Okay? So don't hear what I'm not saying. As a matter of fact, Paul's writings lean toward, if we're really born again, the last thing that we want to do is sin. He says, should I sin that grace may abound? Should I sin so that we can go, oh, grace, look at grace, look how great, this great grace is. And he says, God forbid. Amen? Now watch this. Made me free. Made me free. That Greek phrase there means free, watch this, from the dominion of sin. Not bound by obligation. Free from the dominion of sin. Free from the dominion of sin. What is dominion? It is the power and the right of governing and controlling. Now get this, church. We had better stop walking around and saying, I'm just human. I'm going to sin. I can't help it. It's just the way I am. When the Word of God says to us tonight that He has made me free, what does it say? Made me free from the law of sin and death. He has broken sin's power. He has broken the dominion. He's broken sin's right and power to govern us. It's right and it's power to control us. Dominion, a territory in which a single lordship rules. You see, the law of the Spirit, grace, and the power of God through the Holy Spirit dethrones the law of sin. Amen? So we cannot say, I can't help it. Yeah, we can because according to the scriptures, the power, the power and the dominion has been broken. Well, then, Karen, how come I keep on sinning? Because our, our flesh, our body, has been trained to get our needs met 
the same old way all the time. It's called Old Green Highway. We just keep traveling them Old Green Highway. So we got to change highways. We don't respond like that anymore. We don't act like that anymore. We don't think like that anymore. And we can't blame it on the power of sin. You got me in its chains. No, not according to Romans 8. It's broken. It's broken. Now let's keep going. For what the law could not do and then it was weak to the flesh, God did. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. God took control of the situation by sending Jesus. The law couldn't do this for us because the law, there it is, weak through the flesh. It counted on men. It counted on men to carry it out. The law was powerless. Melanie, you should have this slide. The law was powerless to enable men to meet its commands. Because it had to depend on a fallen human nature to carry it out. Law wasn't just going, it wasn't going to get it. So God had to take the issue of sin into his own hands. He sent Jesus and he handled the situation. You see the phrase on account of sin. You see that on account of sin, underline that. Let me give you this, then we're going to move. On account of sin, Jesus came. And he made atonement for sin. And by doing that, he did two things. He destroyed its dominion. We've already covered that. But he extirpated it. Look at this word. Extirpated. What does that mean? It means to totally destroy. Now, does Jesus do a halfway job at anything? No. But listen to this. Not only does it mean that he totally destroyed sin's power. But it means to pull up by or as if by the roots. He has reached in to mankind and he has pulled up the power of sin by the root. Pull that thing up and totally destroy it. Now guys, here's the deal. If we're dabbling in sin, and we're still continuing to sin, it is by our choice. We're choosing to. Because according to this, Jesus busted this whole thing. There is no power of sin over us. He destroyed its authority, its right to exist, and its power. And literally pulled up that sin by the root you're delivered just like that. But we've got to get in faith, and we've got to bring our flesh under submission and walk ye in it. See, we, we, we preach kind of a different gospel. Well, I know I'm born again, but sin's just, Satan's just got a grip on me, and this sin's just got a grip on me. And, and I understand that to a degree. But if we'll look at it closely, Jesus has broken that power. And we've got to condition ourselves, build our faith, train ourselves to walk in that. Or else we'll use it as the crutch to continue to do what we're doing. Amen? Are we pretty clear there? All right, let's keep going. We can't do it verse by verse anymore. we got to go. Verse 4, quickly, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Jesus did it. Okay? That we walk according not to the flesh, but to the Spirit. Let me move quickly. Your next section of truth 
is right there, 5 through about 11, okay? For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the thing of the flesh, here's your contrast again. If you're in the Spirit, you're going to do the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded, carnally minded there means worldly, fleshy, things of the world. You're controlled by that. That's death, he says. But to be spiritually minded, life and peace. The carnal mind has hostility against God. It can't please God, doesn't want to please God. It can't do it. Verse 8, there it is. Those in the flesh can't please God. Guys, verse 8 is talking about the lost man. Because in verse 9 it says, but you're not in the flesh. You're not in the flesh. The believer is not in the flesh. You're in the spirit. Verse 10, and if Christ is in you, the body, the human body, we're dying because of the fall of Adam, right? This earth suit, that's dying. But the spirit man lives, correct? Verse 10, Christ is in you. The body will die because of sin. That's the fall of Adam. There's not a lot we can do about that. But the spirit is life because of Jesus. But if the correct translation there is since, since, God help our English language. We're losing some stuff in this translation. Important that we understand Greek just a little bit. Because verse 11 says, But since the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, we just talked about resurrection last week, dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give your life, give life to your mortal body through His Spirit who dwells in you. Praise God. Verse 14, very important verse. We've got to move. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Back up in verse um, 9, it connects with 14. It is the Holy Spirit that bears witness with our spirit that we are or are not saved. If you're wondering if you're saved, the Holy Spirit bears witness that you are. You'll know. You'll be the first to know if you're not. You will be the first to know. Okay, keep going. 15. Let's spend a moment here. For you did not receive, when you came into this new relationship with God, you didn't receive a spirit of bondage again to fear. The law brought fear upon man. Can we do this? Can we keep this? We don't know. But you received the spirit of adoption. The word adoption means to place a son. The Holy Spirit at your conversion placed you. In the family of God. Is that powerful or what? The Holy Spirit is seen all throughout this chapter. As a matter of fact, I wrote this down. Let me find it real quick. Um, the Holy Spirit was mentioned. Let me find it so you can, you can see this. Why did I write that? The Holy Spirit's mentioned five times before this chapter. And only nine times afterwards. But within chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 21 times. The Bible is trying to tell us that the Holy Spirit is all up in our salvation. Amen? He is all up in our salvation. Five before, nine after, 21 during. 
So it is the Holy Spirit that actually picks you up. It's referred to over in Colossians, I think, from the kingdom of darkness and transports you to the kingdom of light. Adoption in the Greek means the placing of a son. Adopted by Jesus? Yes. Placed in his family? Placed in his kingdom? With, with all the benefits and the perks that go with it. Praise God. The Holy Spirit placed you there. And very quickly, verse 18 through 25, the summary for this, we don't have time to get into it, but the summary is, guys, you'll read about the creation groaning. and Y'all read that and think, now what? Y'all read that and think, what is this talking about? Creation groaning. Basically what you're reading right there is when Adam fell, when Eve fell, the whole earth was put under a curse. And the Bible talks about how creation even groans for the final coming of Jesus and all this stuff is cleared up and he's glorified and man comes uh, into the full a realization of eternal life and etc. Et even the earth will be blessed. Even the earth will come back to, to its perfect position. That's what that's talking about. So don't get hung up in that. Is that good? So even creation suffered the consequences of man's sin. I wonder if there were, if it was, now think about this. Was there briars and poison oak before the fall? The lion laid down with the lamb. Okay? Were there carnivores before Adam got goofed up? He just ate from the lamb. Now all of a sudden, well, me do. I mean, I don't know. I'm just food for thought. But you think about these things. So that's what that's talking about, verses 18 through 25. But even creation suffered the consequences of sin. So creation groans for that completeness, all right? Verse 26 through 28, this is where we got to land. Likewise, this is talking about now it moves into a whole different section. Again, the involvement of the Holy Spirit in our life. Romans 8, 26 through 28. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. We'll stop right there. What is weakness? Got a definition for you. Mel, can you pop that up? Weakness is the inability in and of myself to produce results because of the limitations imposed on me by my flesh. How many of you ever been praying and you just felt limited? Well, I mean, my goodness, Romans 8 is all about limitation. It's just all about flesh and the mess that we were in. But this even uh, manifests itself during prayer. That we can get into, we can get to a point of weakness, and the weakness is just our inability, in and of myself, to produce results. I mean, I'm praying all I know to pray. I'm doing what I know to do, and it says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our infirmities, for we we know not. The word "no" means see. Sometimes we don't even see how to pray. So we can say it this way: I don't know. I don't see what to pray because I'm limited in my flesh. Thank God for the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the presence of the Holy Spirit in our prayer closet. Because look what he does. He comes and he makes intercession for us. Makes intercession. He comes in and he intercedes in behalf of. He falls in with. He makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. It says that he helps 
us. Now watch this, guys. The word helps. Melanie, I should have a slide for that. Helps, there's your definition. To take hold of at the side for assistance and to participate with. The Holy Spirit does not come in and pray for you. Not going to do that. He will come in and he will assist you. When you're at a place, and I think, guys, and I'll mention this in a moment, these groanings, I think it's our groanings, because the context of the verses prior is talking about nature's groanings and man's groanings. I don't think the Holy Spirit has to groan. I think he can form his words, and he knows what to do and say. It is us that gets to a point that we're in such a place that we can, basically means you can't even form the words. You're either so grieved or you're so burdened or you're so broken, you can't even form the words. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit, he will come in, Terry, and he will help you. He will come alongside of you and he will assist you and participate with you, making those prayers that are ineffective, effective before the Lord. He'll take those prayers and he'll say, Lord Jesus, Father, this is what Anita means. This is what she means. And I'm interceding for her and I'm helping her. I'm taking those ineffective prayers. She can't verbalize it, Lord God. She can't put it into words. But because I search her heart, I know what she's praying. And Father God, this is what Anita's saying. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit wants to cooperate with you, participate with you in prayer, and then intercede for you in prayer. But he will come alongside of you. The Bible says that he is the comforter over in John. That is a paraclete. The first word of paraclete, which means comforter, is para. And that means side by side, as close as one can get. That's why the Bible calls the Holy Ghost the paraclete. He comes right alongside of you, as close as one can get. And he'll intercede for you, then he'll pray with you, and he will help you. Paraclete, para, as close as he can get. You can't get any closer than a paraclete. Thank you, Lord. I also believe that this is applicable in regard to your prayer language. Have you ever been praying in English and you just get to a point and you kick over into your prayer language because English is insufficient anymore? You can't say it any other way. You don't know how to form it in English. Your vocabulary is limited. And remember, it's because of our limitations. That's our infirmity. That's our weakness. We're limited in the English language. So we'll kick over into our prayer language. I did it this morning. I was praying about something. I said to God all I knew to say in my known language, and I popped right over into the Spirit, and I knew immediately that the Holy Spirit came alongside of me, and he took that language, and he said before the Father God, this is what she means. Vitally important. Have you ever been there? You're in a place, and you said all you know to say, and you go to the Lord in that prayer language. And heaven opens. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. He'll not pray instead of you. He'll pray with you. He'll pray with you. And this word helps, it's in the middle voice in the Greek language, which means the person doing the action receives the benefit of the action. 
Who's doing the action? The Holy Spirit is helping. He's the one doing the action. What do you mean the Holy Spirit receives the benefit of the action? I would think I receive the benefit of the action. Holy Spirit receives the benefit of the action, the benefit of you praying, because he knows that if he paraclete, he comes right alongside of you and helps you pray, you will loose things in heaven that need to be loosed. Things will come into order. The heart of God will be prayed out. The mind of God will be prayed out. The will of God will be prayed out. And all of the kingdom will benefit. Yes, the Holy Spirit sees that as beneficial. All that locked up in a prefix of a word, paraclete. My goodness, Lord help us. Yes. So good. And then he goes on to saying, we got to quit. Where are we? My goodness, so good, so good. And he that searches the heart, knows what the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints. There it is. The Holy Ghost prays for you. He'll make intercession for you, and he'll pray with you, but he won't pray instead of you. He won't. It says that he cooperates. Do y'all get that? We good. He'll come alongside, but he's not going to do it for us. And we know that all things work together for good, to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. We know, we know, we know. This is what we know. That's a memory verse. It works. That verb is in the present tense, which means right now. He's working, and it means he will continue to work. He will continue to work all things together for good. All the elements will work for good. Now, let's get this. You might be in a bad situation. I mean, there's just a funk, and there's all kind of elements. There's people. There's relationships. There's this, and there's that, and this, and that. And it's all goofed up, and it's all marked up. And you say, there's no way God's in this. God didn't bring it. And it might not look real good, but Romans 8.28 says... He will make it for your good. He will. I don't care how stinking ugly it is. It says, let's look at it. And we know that all things work. It means they're working now and they will continue to work. All of the elements The situation at hand, everything about the circumstance, whether it be timing or the season you're in or people or whatever the case, it's all working together for good, a good thing. But there's a condition. To those two things who love God and are called according to his purpose, and that is his people, walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. Can a lost man claim Romans 8.28? Can he? No. Does not love God, and he's not called according to the purposes. He's not walking in the spirit. He's walking according to the flesh, according to verse 8. But guys, I'm telling you, here's the deal. 
if Romans 8, 28 is Bible, I don't care how bad it is. Romans 8, 28. Now, let's just think for about five seconds. How many of you can say, I remember a time, and I remember that situation, and it looked like all of hell had opened and was about to swallow me. But in the end, either you were reshaped, something got chopped off of you that didn't need to be there anyway, the Lord showed you something about yourself. How many of you can say that? Hallelujah. Something like that happened to me about a year ago this time. Thought it was the awfulest thing in all of God's creation. Thought all of Satan and every kingdom member, leader he had was in my living room. But when it was over, I looked back and said, wow, I learned some things. Was it good when it's in it? No. But it says that he'll work it. Aren't you glad to know that he's working on your behalf? He doesn't bring it. But he looks at that thing and says, hmm, let me glorify myself right here. Let me show myself mighty on her behalf. Does it mean he'll rescue us out of it? Not every time. But he'll be with you in it. And something good, something beneficial will come out of it. Amen? Closing up, verse 29 through 27, or 37, it basically says, God loves us. He's with us no matter what. There is a ton, a ton of truth in 29 and 30. Ton. There's doctrinal truth right in there. I had time to teach you. We could bust some stuff up with 29 and 30. That's dynamite right in there. Dynamite. 32 says, God didn't even spare his son. He loved us so much. He, not with him, he, not with him, also freely gave us, let's say, uh, but delivered him up for us, Jesus. How shall he not with him so freely give us all things? So good. 37 is a focal passage. Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him. Got that one? And then 29 through, uh, what's the next sec there? 38 through 39. Nothing can separate us from his love. Now, let me make this note and we're going to finish up. Holly, where are we? Oh, gosh, I've lost my note. Look at verse 38. Let me give you this. See where it says, nor angels? See that? That's fallen angels. Okay? Just so you know, that's talking about fallen angels. Now, notice this and we'll stop. Nothing can separate us from, 39, the love of God. Nothing can separate us from his love, his love. But sin can break the fellowship. Okay? Nothing's going to separate you from his love. Now, I remember a song. Y'all remember Gold City Quartet? I'm telling y'all how old I am. I was Gold City Quartet groupie. That was way back. They sang a song that talked about sin separated me from God's love, and now I'm back here on my knees. Sin doesn't separate us from his love. Sin breaks the fellowship. Take your own children. If my boys do something, and I am sideways, our fellowship is broken for a little while. 
Don't want to see them. Don't want to talk to them. Not that God feels that way, but you know what I'm saying. Just go with me. But it doesn't change my love for them. We need to come back and reestablish our fellowship. Sin can destroy fellowship between us and God. He hates it. Put his son on a cross for us. Watched him bleed and die and get beaten so that we would have no condemnation. Loves us that much. But sin can break the fellowship. It will grieve the Holy Spirit. So our, our, uh, our sin hinders our relationship with even the Holy Spirit. Can't have that. Why? Because you need him to assist you in intercession. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Now, Romans 8, juicy, is it not? It's juicy. It's prime rib. That might be, uh, what do you call it, filet mignon. Good. Good, good, good. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and love your word. God, there are treasures in church. I believe this. There are treasures in every letter, every word, every verse, every chapter. There are treasures. And, Lord, we just thank you that just for about 45 minutes on week one, we get to unlock just a few of these little treasure boxes and watch your life just come out. Father, you're trying to tell us on every page that you love us and what you've done for us. We thank you and praise you for it. Don't want to take it for granted. Now, Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for what you're doing in every person, every life. I thank you that from the north, south, east, and west, people are coming. And they're joining the army. Father, that you've got a plan for us. And, Lord, we, we cry out for that plan. We thank you for it, Lord. Lord, we just thank you that as we meet in the days ahead with you over Romans for the rest of this week, that you're just going to pour out. Out of P52 came our Bible School, Canal Ministry Training Center where we build and train disciples who are confident and well-equipped to be effective world changers. Our Canale students are heavily involved in the North Order Revival, where God is meeting people in the baptism waters. You can find more information and resources at canaomtc.com, cfchurch.tv, or you can download the P52 devotional at kingdomready.tv. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast, and we'll see you next time.